Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prey, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we are going to be breaking down some verbal commitment news for the Oregon Ducks. They have pretty much now finalized their roster for the Oregon men's basketball program with yet again another all-conference commitment from a transfer. Uh, Eric and I will, will discuss that addition. We'll also break down just now uh, a roster that we feel like is pretty much intact now and kind of give you our thoughts on the strengths and the, the weaknesses and why we think this is going to be an elite team yet again for Dana Altman. Um, I, I, I think I speak for ourselves, Eric. I don't think either of us are, are down on this team, right? Like we're, we're expecting big things uh, from the Oregon men's basketball program moving forward. Yeah. And this just sort of solidifies this. I'm with Matt in terms of it. It kind of feels like a natural stopping point in terms of additions. And I'm not saying that they won't add anyone else and that Matt would probably have better information on that, but like you look at what they needed to address and I feel like they've done it. Um, they needed to get some more size. They went out and got, Guerrier, they wanted. They, they definitely need more scoring and playmaking, ball handling, and Jacob Young certainly helps with that. Devian Harmon helps with that. Rivaldo Sores probably helps with some of the scoring. So, like, I think you've you've added four players here that are all older. By the way, I, I like I like that part. Like, I just straight up, I like the fact that you bring in guys that are all at least played a couple of years of college, whether that be at JUCO or other four year schools. I think that's that's a huge thing. Um, we saw, I think. I'm sure Dan Altman learned from the season where they had a really youthful roster and they brought in all those five stars and how hard it, you know, that how much time it took to kind of have everything gel. And in, in some cases it didn't. Um, so this year's team is a very veteran team and young certainly, you know, helps with that. And Hey, how about this? He's, his older brother is a really notable Oregon <laughs> basketball player. I, I, I like, we haven't mentioned that. Like that's, that's just a kind of a cool little subplot to obviously it doesn't really mean too much, but like, Hey, if you liked watching Joseph young play, now you get to watch his younger brother finish his career at Oregon too. Yeah, younger brother is Jacob Young, transfer guard from Rutgers University, the Scarlet Knights. So Oregon's dipping back into that New Jersey uh, waters of going out and and landing one of their transfers. Eugene Amarui came from Rutgers, so Oregon's hoping that Jacob Young can kind of repeat the success from an individual and from a team perspective. Obviously, in different ways, you know, Amarui was a forward, Jacob Young is a guard. Uh, considerably size difference between the two, but nonetheless, big time addition for the Ducks. Jacob Young was an all Big Ten media selection this past season, his senior year, which he averaged 14.1 points, 3.4 assists, almost two rebounds a game, shot 47% from the field, 37% on three pointers, uh, decent number of free throws attempted per game. And Jacob Young is, is taking advantage of the NCAA's decision to allow everybody a free year from the 2020-2021 season. So he will actually be playing his fifth season of college basketball, and he will be on a team in college for his sixth year. He, had a, he started his career in 2016-17 with the Texas Longhorns, was a four-star recruit that signed there. And then after two seasons with the Longhorns, he ended up transferring out of the program, redshirted one season. And then as a redshirt junior in 2019, 2020, he was kind of like their sixth man, uh, you know, in and out of the starting lineup that, that season averaged eight and a half points for Rutgers. And now uh, in his one full full-time year as a starter for, for Rutgers, they had one of the best years in their history. They made the NCAA tournament. And he was a big part of that. Uh, 
he had 13 points uh, against Clemson in the NCAA tournament and then against Houston, who went on to win the final, uh, get to the final four and one of the best defensive teams in the country. He had nine points, three assists, and a rebound uh, in that performance as well. So Oregon's adding, like you said, Eric, they needed to add some shooting. They're at and some playmaking. They're adding a combo guard, I think. That's how you best describe Jacob Young. Uh, and the fact that he can give you some time at point if you need it. He can be your shooting guard if you need it. He can guard multiple positions on defense. And he's coming in with the idea, like you said, Oregon's getting old. He knows this is his last year of college basketball. He wants to go deep into the tournament. He's had a taste of it now. And he's going to, you know, it's kind of like that old, old player in college basketball that wants to go deep and will do anything that you possibly can to help himself and help his team get there. And I think from a fit perspective, and we'll talk about start, you know, projecting starting fives and stuff like that later. But like, I, I, it would make sense that he would start just in terms of what he can provide to this team, his experience. Um, I think, you know, another interesting part of this is just I like having multiple left-handed players on the court. I think that is sometimes difficult to defend. He's in a lefty, um, Will Richardson, obviously, and a left-handed player, but players that can attack the rim that way. I think, and, and you watch some of his films. I got a film review up on the site primarily gets to the rim going left, but has a, a variety of ways to score it there. So I, I, I like the fact that I like that part. That's a small part. I think the three-point shooting will be interesting. I was I was looking through his numbers and, you know, his first three years, Matt ran through his history, you know, two years at Texas, one at Rutgers, just a 27% three-point shooter, but last year shot 37%. So it's a big improvement. Obviously, his older brother, Joseph, known as a, as a really good three-point shooter when he was at Oregon. Um, if that number stays closer to 37 as opposed to 27 that's that's big. If it falls back to 27%, that, that becomes a situation where it, it may be tough to have them on the court in certain situations. You just can't hit that open shot. But um, love the progress there. I think we talked similarly about Quincy Garrier a couple weeks ago when he committed. Another guy whose three-point percentage wasn't great early on in his career, but seems to be getting better recently. Now, where does he fit into the offseason that Oregon's had? Uh, I, did, Eric, I'm, I, maybe it's me being a little bit of a homer here. But I have a hard time finding a team that's out there that's had a significantly bigger impact from offseason additions than what Oregon and Dane Altman have, have been able to do for this team. There are certainly teams out there that have maybe had as good as an offseason as Oregon, but I can't think of anybody out there that's maybe had a better one than maybe Gonzaga. Maybe Gonzaga is the only one because yeah. they Chet had Holmgren. a couple five stars and then they had a couple of their star returners come back in a surprising manner. But looking at Oregon's roster, they have added a five-star power forward in Nathan Biddle. They have added an all-Big Ten selection in Jacob Young. They've added an all-ACC selection in Quincy Guerrier. They've added an all-Big 12 selection in Devion Harmon. They've added a junior college All-American in Rivaldo Sores, and they're like, air quotes, lowest rated, lowest prolific guy coming into the, into the program this offseason is a four-star top 70 recruit that took a two-year mission uh, as part of the 2019 recruiting class and is now two years older than when he was rated as a high school prospect joining the program now in Isaac Johnson. So I look at this team and think, they are absolutely loaded when you combine the fact that Eric Williams, Will Richardson, Frank Kepnog, and Fale Dante are also all back from this past season. So is Luke Wer, 
who had uh, it was a was a guy that was you know behind a bunch of veteran guys on last year's team. This group is loaded, and their offseason additions are all fantastic. Put it this way: uh, the guys that Oregon signed from college or junior college, one of them is an All-American, that's Rivaldo Suarez, and the other three all played, all started for a team that won at least one game in the NCAA tournament this past season. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm not going to run through all the other schools, but to your original question and, and try to compare them. But I, I mean, just looking at Oregon, like isolating them from everybody else, it's really impressive. Um, and this needed to happen, right? I mean, yeah. we, it wasn't that long ago that we, that, 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 that looked like it was kind of a problematic roster. And this is, this has become kind of the annual thing with Dane Altman is regardless of what you lose, you, you almost always seem to replenish and replace the roster in a way that, that gives you optimism going into a season. I mean, based upon what happened, you know, at the end of last season with all those players taking off and some unexpected transfers as well, I think it was easy to maybe be sort of negative and pessimistic about what the future might hold if, if Oregon didn't go out and have some success. But it was also felt kind of silly to bet against Dana Altman. And like you said, you now look at the additions and they're all very accomplished players. They're all older players. I think that's huge in terms of yeah. building a team, especially one that wants to win games. I mean, like, there's, you know, we don't have to go into too much of this conversation, but there, like, there's been a pretty significant change, I think, in terms of how teams go out and want to build rosters. It used to be, obviously, you would sign a bunch of prep kids and, and build them up. And, and now you kind of have the opportunity to play the free agent market almost. And I think that's what you're seeing in Oregon. I definitely took advantage of that. Definitely added a bunch of guys that are really talented. And, and frankly, it's going to be, I think, now interesting to see, Matt, kind of how this all comes together, what, what the fits are. Because, because there are, like you said, there are a lot of guys. We just saw it with the women's team this last year. Sometimes when you have a lot of guys, it can be kind of hard to juggle it. Um, do you have concerns almost of like they almost have too many players or – or how do you look at this? And, and do you think the pieces fit well together, I guess? Well, I, I think like looking at there's two guys where I say, okay, playing time will probably be very difficult for you to get anything more than 10 minutes. And even that's kind of like pushing it. Um, and that's Luke Wer, and that's Isaac Johnson. I think Isaac Johnson is, is in a position where he will probably redshirt for this upcoming season, you know, having the year off away from basketball, knowing that the roster that, that the guys that are on the team right now, um, may, maybe he shows up and he's just, he's better than everyone is expected. And he, he forces his way onto the court. And then that's a good thing. Right. Um, that that's a, that's an added bonus. That's icing on the, on, on the cake. Um, but I think Luke Wer and Isaac Johnson are, are two guys you look at and say, okay, it's probably going to be difficult for them to get playing, you know, to get like 20 minutes a game, like real significant run. Um, so now that drops your, your, your pool of players down by two and Folly Dante uh, is going to be coming back from an injury. Remember he tore his ACL in, in December uh, for, for the ducks. And I, I think it's probably safe to assume that uh, I don't have any sourcing on this or anything commenting on, on the record. I think it's safe to assume and Folly Dante probably won't be, uh, he'll probably be playing week one of the season, week two, week three, um, unless there's some kind of major setback, right. but which we haven't heard of. Um, but I, I don't think it's probably safe to assume that he probably won't be playing at his peak until like January. 
just typically knowing ACL injuries, guys that come back from major injury. I mean, think about Lewis King, who he had a finger injury, a hand injury a couple years ago. And he, he missed almost all of camp and was, you know, missed the first couple of weeks of the, of the season. And he really wasn't hitting his stride until January, February for, for the ducks. And that was with a finger injury. That wasn't a, a major knee injury, like in folly Dante is going to be going through. So I look at this and think, okay, and folly Dante probably will be playing some spot minutes as he continues to build up his stamina, gets back into shape, gets, you know, gets the rust off from his ACL injury. And probably by the, by the beginning of the new year is when we'll see him really kick into high gear. And that, maybe I'm being ultra conservative, but that's just one more guy that that's not going to be playing or knowing that, Hey, you're just not going to be getting 25 minutes a night. Like you're just physically not there yet. And, and if he is again, just like Isaac Johnson or Luke were, you're in a much better position than you were going into the year than you were maybe anticipating. So I think it boils down to a core group of guys that, that are going to get a, a bulk of the minutes. And I think that this is the, probably the perfect number of players. You've got Will Richardson, you've got Devion Harmon, you've got Jacob Young, you've got Rivaldo Sorez and Eric Williams. Those are your five guys that'll be on the perimeter. And then your, your post players. And, and I, I, I'm going to also say Quincy Guerrier and Eric Williams could also play on the perimeter, but your post players, Quincy right. Guerrier, that's your sixth player and Nate Biddle, Frank Kepnog. You've got, you've got eight guys right there. Um, where I think you look at this team and say, okay, there's eight guys here. That's the perfect number for a rotation. You've got five starters. You've got three guys off the bench. Everyone's going to play over 20 minutes. And then when Infale Dante comes in, he'll still get his probably 20 minutes or so. And everyone else will, will, will lose maybe three or four minutes, but they're still going to be playing a bulk of the, of the time. I think this is eight to nine is the perfect roster makeup of a team once you get to nine to 10 to 11 that's where it becomes really difficult to keep everybody happy and i think oregon's kind of in that sweet spot eight eight to nine guys i think we talked about this i'm trying to remember after quincy garrier committed projecting a starting five mm-hmm. and, and and i don't i don't want to be too redundant if we've done this already but I, for those listening that maybe didn't hear it, you, you think Jacob Young probably slides in as a starter. How, what's the rest of that starting five look like for you? Because I think it's interesting. You ran through eight to nine guys. I think you could set, make an argument for all those guys to possibly be starting caliber players. Well, it's, I think- it's, it's pretty crazy that um, I, I think Eric Williams is going to come off the bench. And that's big. <laughs> that's significant. Like that, that, and that's a guy that was one of Oregon's primary starters the entire year this past season. And He's going to get starter minutes, and I, I guarantee you he'll be on the court to end the game. But it's like that microwave Vernon Maxwell look, you know, comparison where, hey, you're so good and we're so deep. We're going to put you as the sixth man, and you're going to come in and feast on our opponents when they have to pull off one or two of their starters, maybe even three of their starters, and you come in with our second wave and there's no one going to be able to, to contain you and, or they're going to have to throw in a tired starter and you're going to, you're going to be fresh and be able to go right at him. So I, I think Eric Williams, he also gives you a lot of versatility. Like 
Sure. He, he comes off the bench. He could go in at two. He could go in at five and, and gives you a ton of, you know, what Dick, how the game is dictating the rotation. He will be able to come in and help you in that regard. Um, I also think Rivaldo Soares probably will, will be a bench guy for Oregon and to be able to say, Hey, we've got a junior college all American coming off the bench. That's tremendous. And the thing that's awesome about Rivaldo Soares is he's wanting to play three years of college basketball. And so you can sell him on the fact, Hey, your first year, we want you to get your feet wet. We want you to just really hone in on, on being an, an elite scorer and maybe a, a really good wing defender, be really good at those two things. And next year, your junior year, your second year in the program will expand your role. Your minutes will go up because a bunch of these guys are going to be gone and you'll, you'll see, you'll still get that, you know, number one primary type of a role for the, for the program. Um, so I, I think Oregon's starting lineup is pretty clear cut and dry. I, I think it's, uh, you've got three guards, you've got Jacob Young, you've got Devion Harmon, and you've got Will Richardson. All three of them can play point. All three of them can play off, uh, off the ball. I, I, so I think you've got tremendous versatility there. They, they might play really fast this upcoming season because of that. And then down on the other end at the forward spot, You've got Quincy Guerrier, and then at the center spot, you've got Frank Kepnog. And then it's crazy, Nate Biddle, five-star, coming off the bench. I, I think Biddle, much like Eric Williams, will, will go, okay, do we need to play normal normal size and we go Biddle in for Kepnog? Or do we want to go big and we want to put Quincy at the three and Biddle at the four? And when Infale Dante gets back, do they want to go like super big? and go Kepnog, Dante, and Biddle all on the court at the same time. I think that's that also poss- could be a, a possibility for a very short spurt of minutes. So uh, I think that's your rotation. And, and if you tell anybody, you've got a five-star coming off the bench, you've got a former starter from the previous team that made the Sweet 16 coming off the bench, and a Juco All-American coming off the bench, you're pretty darn good. Well, I was going to say, I think the thing that's exciting is you just think about the different ways they can play. Yeah. You talked about playing fast. They could play really fast if you wanted to go guard heavy. Maybe you even have like Gary as a center. Yeah. Or, or if you really want to go small and you really want to go fast. You could also go ultra big and, and play a couple of those two big guys. Maybe Gary at small forward and that's just a massive lineup. I'd probably prefer to go smaller and that's what Altman has proven historically at least where's where he goes. But you know he'll play whatever works. But I, I just think there's so much versatility here. You can have different lineups with different I think defensively, you, you can certainly put together some really interesting lineups. And I think when you get into the Pac-12, where there are some teams that play a lot of different styles, this should help a lot. And I think the only thing I would be concerned about, and, and maybe it's not a concern because Altman's been so good with it, is just getting that rotation, getting that eight to nine guys set up. Because as we've seen over, over the years, like <laughs> Dan Altman has a lot of experience in having to kind of like replenish a roster. And typically it does take some time to, to come together. And I guess my only concern with having more players, and I said it earlier, maybe it's part just because of what happened with the women's team last year, is just you run, you run the risk of maybe not always playing your best eight to nine players. But I think Matt's right. If you have a very clear-cut rotation, which it sounds like there probably will be, yeah, then there is a ton of upside with this group because they're all veteran guys. And they've all been, had experience now playing college basketball where year to year they have to kind of, you know, fit themselves into whatever role is required of them. So I think a lot of things to be excited with in terms of just the way this roster is built now. Dan Altman's talked a lot about how he likes coaching older players. Um, 
because they they come in with the mentality of like I just want to reach the highest level and I want to do it in any means necessary and the highest level being make the NCAA tournament and not just get there but win games and make deep runs and you see guys sacrifice for the betterment of the team and maybe they're not having the role that they had at their previous stop, but they go significantly further than they've ever been before in a run. Amari Hardy was a guy that, you know, was a, like a 15 point score, like 15, four and four uh, the last couple of years at UNLV. And he came to Oregon and, and averaged like four or five points a game and was a sixth man, seventh man, you know, guy off the bench. And yet he made the NCAA tournament and he went as far as he's ever been. Um, Shakur Justin is another guy who averaged, you know, like it was like 14 and eight before he got to Oregon. And he showed up and was like the third or fourth guy on the roster from a, from a go-to scoring perspective. Right. And he, and he embraced the, you know, defensive stopper rebounding type of a role, which he was at his previous school, but he was also a scorer. Uh, and he had, you know, if it wasn't for the pandemic, Oregon was set to, to make the, the tournament as like a three or a four seed and have a deep run uh, in the tournament. Anthony Mathis, same deal. Uh, Mike Moser, Jason Caliste, um, Arsalan Kazemi. I mean, we, we've, we've seen guys come through the program where they don't care about the individual success. They just want to reach the highest pinnacle. And I think that's what a lot of these, you know, guys that they're bringing in will will have like definitely all of them have left schools where they were like the third or the fourth you know guy or the second guy and they were on teams that had winning records they were on teams that won a game in the NCAA tournament and they left those situations to go to a, a program that they would be and pushed and improved individually but also have a chance to really make a serious run within the, this new team that they're playing for, which is Oregon. And so I, I think you always have to wonder a little bit about is there going to be enough you know, minutes for everybody and whatnot. Sure. But the fact that a lot of these guys are all older players and they all understand that like the rigors of a season, they, they've been coached hard at their previous stops. You know, They're not coming in saying, oh, I'm going to average 18 and then I'm going to go off to the NBA after my freshman year. Like, I think that is a lot easier to manage than it is the, the high school guys that come in. And I think this is why Dana Altman's one of the best coaches in the country is it doesn't really matter who he loses as long as he can go out and fit, find some pieces that fit and that are, you know, the older type of player and sprinkle in a couple of these high school guys and you're going to have a loaded roster. I, I think Eric UCLA is going to be the favorite to win the league. Yeah they're going to be the preseason favorite. Uh, a lot of the media will vote, vote then number one. But I think if you peel back everything and you look at Oregon's roster from an individual standpoint and compare it to UCLA's, they're equals. They are, they are, the, they are the two equals in, in this league. And it's, it's going to be fun to watch because it's been since that the year Oregon made the final four, when the, the league legitimately has two top 10 teams in the same year in the conference. And I think that's going to be the case this upcoming year with both Oregon and UCLA, two teams that are, you know, if, if either of them made the final four, it wouldn't be that big of a shock. 
With UCLA, it's it's. I agree in terms of the talent on the teams. I mean, we watched that UCLA team play throughout last season, and it wasn't like they dominated the Pac-12, right? I mean, that was a team that was kind of battling for its tournament life towards the end of the season there, and 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 obviously got really hot and they have all that momentum, and that's that's why they're such a top pick right now. I also am not going to be like totally stunned if if we see a slight regression from some of that because yeah. I think they all played kind of at their best at, at the right time and. I don't want to take anything away from them. that was an awesome run. And, and boy, they really almost, they almost played for a national championship. They were very, very close to that. And obviously I think they would have gotten run off the court had they, because Baylor just looked at a different level, but still, I, I, I think UCLA is going to be interesting. And you're right. I, I like the fact that we're going to enter a season where hopefully nationally, there's a little bit more respect for the conference because that, I mean, for better or worse, that plays a role in the way the season plays out. Sometimes that preseason per- perception sort of can, I know, I know, obviously the metrics come into it too, but that can sort of paint the way the season goes and what we think of conferences. And we saw this last year where people didn't really respect the Pac-12. They really liked the Big Ten. You get into the tournament and look what happens. The Big Ten really struggles. The Pac-12 has the most success. I hope the Pac-12 receives that. And I think you're right. Oregon's offseason success should provide hopefully enough um, ammunition, I guess, for, for people nationally to understand that, that the Pac-12 is going to be really top-heavy, or at least really strong at the top with Oregon and UCLA. And we'll wrap it up with this. Some, some games, non-conference-wise, that um, Oregon is going to be playing in. They're getting Baylor at home. They're supposed to be getting Michigan at home. Uh, Houston is also coming home. So two out of the four I guess count UCLA three out of the four teams that made the final four this past season, including the national champion will be playing in Eugene. And then another elite team in Michigan is expected to be back in town. Um, Cause they were supposed to play in 2020, but the, the pandemic prevented that from happening. So, you know, from a non-conference perspective, Oregon is going to be playing an absolutely loaded schedule. They're going to Maui in Hawaii to play in that event as well. I mean, and they might be the favorites after this edition of Jacob Young to win that, to win that tournament. So from a, from a basketball standpoint, it's time now to get excited about this team because from the men's side, you, you have a legitimate top 10 team in Eugene again. And one in which I, I, I truly think the expectation is that they need to win the, the PAC 12 conference regular season they, their expectation is that they win the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. And the expectation is they get to that second weekend and, and they're playing in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight type scenario at almost, is it fair to say, at minimum? Like that's kind of the expectation. They have to make the Sweet 16 at minimum for it to be a year in which they live up to expectations. I think that's the case under Dana Altman almost every season at this point. And obviously he's had some, so much continued success. So I would say, yeah. And then with the, with the additions and with, I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of, a lot of Oregon talk and they're going to have a lot of opportunity in non-conference play to prove it. And if they go out and win some of those games, they could be a top five, top four team, maybe going into Pac-12 play and who knows what happens once that season takes part. So I'm with you. I think, yeah, I think the ceiling for, for Dana Altman's team always has to be at least a weekend into the tournament, at least winning a couple games and getting further and really, like, again, I don't know. You don't want to set it higher than that, but like, it, it does feel like you have the right components. And of course, this is far out. We haven't seen these guys play together, but at least on paper, you look at it and you think at least you have the veteran presence, the components to to make a deep run. And that's a big part of what happens in terms of building championship teams. Is you you need to have the talent and you need to have the experience. And Oregon definitely has the experience. And now it's a matter of is that talent going to be 
good enough and cohesive enough, I think, to, to make a run. But I'm with you. I think the expectation has to be really high right now based upon what they've done. Yeah, it's been a huge offseason for the Ducks. I don't anticipate um, Oregon to add any more pieces to the puzzle uh, unless it's a guy that's just like a, you literally can't you can't pass on it. And I don't know how many of those guys are out there right now. I mean, if it's like a five-star reclassification guy uh, or if it's maybe it's like a four-star reclass guy that says that he wants to redshirt or is is totally cool and convinces the staff that he's not going to transfer out after getting six, you know, six minutes a game at that type of a situation this upcoming season. Um, or, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a Juco guy that all of a sudden explodes and it's just like, wow, he, he's something that we don't have, which would, I, I I'm struggling with in that capacity of what they don't have. Maybe it's like a, a bigger point guard. That's like six, 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 five, six, seven, um, body type, but you know, is that, is that guy even out there? I don't think right. so. So uh, I have a very hard time seeing another player be added to this roster unless it's literally a, just a, we, we would be stupid not to add him type of, a, of approach from the staff. So keep your eyes locked in on duckterritory.com for more on the roster on the upcoming season for Oregon men's basketball. Um, the women's team, once we, once we know that their roster is finalized, We'll have the same podcast. We'll have the same discussion um, about what's to come for the women's team once that roster is finalized. That's pretty close. It's pretty yeah, close to being close. done. So keep your eyes on that as well. Until we talk to you, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.